Hello, welcome to the Knowledge Share with Dr. Dave podcast. This is your facilitator, Dr. Dave Cornelius. Knowledge Share with Dr. Dave is streamed on grokshare.com and broadcasted on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. I want to encourage everyone to find their awesomeness. It is a choice. Let's begin your learning experience to achieve your awesomeness. So, Marty, welcome to the Knowledge Share with Dr. Dave podcast. I'm so happy that uh, you decided to join me here in Portland. Oh, I'm joining you in Portland, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad we asked, and it, yeah. it, uh, it seems exciting. So. Yeah, I, I think so. You know? So, we're going to talk about Alchemy Code Lab. Okay. Where did Alchemy Code Lab come from? Well, it, uh, it really was a bit of serendipity. Uh, yeah. You know, I've been in software development for uh, a little over two decades now. Most of it as either a developer or uh, a leader within a development organization. Uh, I left a company, I was working remotely for about six, seven years, in September of 2013, uh, they wanted either me to move to San Diego or we were going to go separate ways. And I had family, kids here, and I was like, thanks, no thanks, good aiming break. Right. Uh, and I had a, one of those moments when you have a bit of a pause where you're like, huh, what's next? And uh, I had, as a developer, I got really into JavaScript, and this was really about 2000 to 2013. Is really the the current, I would say, the modern area of technology that we're in. You know, cloud-based services and, and HTML5 and web apps are taking off. And I decided to try startup stuff. I'd always been in mid-sized companies or enterprise environments. Uh, so I did some dumb consulting, freelance, find some entrepreneurs, help them out, and was doing that and one of those moments I think we have in life where I saw someone posted something about teaching. Yeah. And it was just like, you get that draw everywhere, like, I gotta go check that out. Yeah. You don't know why, but you're just interested. Uh, and there's a code school out of Seattle called Code Fellows. Uh, they were the first code school in Seattle in 2013. There's like 19 or 20 now. Really? Yeah, there's tons. They wow. were the first though. They taught uh, Ruby and big auditoriums at University of Washington. Okay. You know. So this, uh, they opened a direct market in Portland, and they were looking for some night instructors to teach nice classes. I was like, oh, I'll check that out. So I went and did a couple of those, got busy the rest of the year with the startup, but then we launched, got the MVP out, and the company's like, uh, we don't know who our market is yet. We're not sure what to do next. And I was like, well, you figure that out. Yeah. And, uh, and the school at the time was like, hey, we are looking for a full-time contractor to teach full-stack JavaScript. Mm which is just what I had been immersed and interested in for the past two years. So I said, cool, uh, I'll do that. You know, you got to still feed yourself. You know, yeah, of course. Yeah. Contracting stuff. Of course. Uh, so I did, I did one class, did another contract for the next quarter with them, and then they hired me uh, full-time as the principal instructor in Portland. Well, in their bigger picture of things in 2016, they were doing similar things like, let's teach a, a weekend course in New York, Chicago. And there were other schools like Galvanize or GA that were mm -hmm. raising 25, 40 million in VC money. Yeah. And they realized that going into a market where you're not known is expensive. Yeah. And the, their board uh, discussed that and decided to pivot. They're like, rather than go out and raise money, because they had grown solely through their own organic success to that point. Yeah. And they looked at their mission that they decided to move to licensing their curriculum, to take their successful curriculum uh, and go to 
mid-market, smaller cities, places where there are existing tech communities, mm -hmm. often around startups and that, yeah. and seeing if they could augment it with tech education. So as part of that, they came to me and said, look, we don't, we don't really want this one school in Portland. I mean, their Seattle school is, is very large and still successful up there. So uh, I took over the school. Nice. And uh, they were gracious enough the first six months, uh, we operated under the name Codefellas PDX. Mm. Like, uh, we don't know yet, right? Yeah. But we are, and, and our back office systems are all their back office systems. Yeah. And summer of 2017, we kind of get all our new systems in place, and that's where we rebranded it as Alchemy Code Lab. Nice. Uh, and that was the start of this leg of my journey. Uh, I think, you know, why, why did I decide to take over Code School? Uh, when you're teaching like that and you see the level of impact, yeah. you know, I'll give you a specific example. I had a student who uh, had a family, wife, one kid, uh, had been working like 32K a year, no health insurance, some desk job. And, and it, forget all the tech stuff, that it's intellectually challenging work, it's meaningful, just like the socioeconomic boost that they leave and get a 70K job with full benefits. You're not just helping that person and everything, you're, you're helping with upward mobility of the whole family yeah. in that case. And uh, certainly I've done some impactful things as a software developer, delivered some great products, been on some great teams. Uh, that's the driving force is to the, the, that person level impact. And I myself came from a non-traditional background. I was an art history major. Right, you told me that. I'm yeah, like, yeah. And yeah. I came in in the dot-com boom, another big supply-demand imbalance. Uh, Back when what you did is you got those really big rocks books, tech yeah. books, you know, crammed it, went and got in a job with that. And Where did you go? Did you go to Crown? Did you go to Borders? Where did you buy your books? Interesting enough, Powell's Technical Bookstore. Wow. And at the time it was on the park blocks. Okay. But interestingly, where we're sitting, this floor was the original Powell's Technical Bookstore. <laughs> talk about full circle. Yeah, right? talk about full yeah. circle. Uh, and it was, it was different, obviously, at that time, but I went and... Uh, uh, one of the first jobs, it was Microsoft Access. So yeah. I had a lot of familiarity with computers, uh, not necessarily programming, although had like a lot of kids, you get a little this basic or yeah. logo, remember that little turtle and yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Um, but mostly working like temp jobs in my 20s, like you don't you can't really get a job with an art history degree unless you go like work at a, an auction house or something. Um, and familiar enough that I could parlay that into uh, learning, but for some way along the line, I learned to teach myself, you know, and have that skill and could go learn something, get in, get to convince someone that I could contribute. Yeah. Uh, and then once I was in the door, I was just aggressive about, oh, we use SQL Server here? Well, how can I, who can I talk to? So I, I was not shy about like getting on projects, bugging people. I was going to soak up and learn how to use any technology I could get to. That, that makes a lot of sense. So what drives your philosophy about life and business, right? I mean, you, you started off grassroots, ground up, I mean, even with your career, but what, what drives those philosophies? Yeah, well, I think it, it's changed. Uh, you know, in those early days, uh, it was having a family. Yeah. Now, I can put the backdrop again, when you're in your 20s and you're single, you can be existentialist about why, why do we work? Yeah. You get a family though, and you need to be responsible for other people. Oh, now I know why I'm working. Yeah. So it's it's pretty practical. Uh, but for me, you know, it's it's actually been a fairly spiritual path, and and that just means for me like exposure to was fortunate enough to people who uh, have thoughts about the the world, life, meaning, and I think anytime you 
a good spiritual tradition, I think you end up at some point wanting this connection, you have this connection to everything, and then the goals in your life aren't so much about you, but you want to make an impact. Yeah. And you, you get to a point where the things that you do uh, aren't so much about you really want. To, we, we have things we want. I'm not saying we don't take care of ourselves, but, you know, for me to, to enable people here at the school to go out and get meaningful work, I actually see that as helping my community. I want to. I want to have a vibrant Portland. I want an economically abundant Portland. Yeah. And so I've always believed that you know when you align altruism and self-interest, great things happen. Yeah. And you don't have to fight it. And it's a good sign. You yeah. Know, you try to get people do this good thing, but it's also in your self-interest. Uh, so kind of pragmatic, but forward-looking yeah. all the time. But, but that, that those are those are excellent, you know, ideals to to drive life from, right? And mm-hmm. Things to move you forward. Um, when, when you think about value, right? I mean, how do you define that? What comes to mind when you think about value from, you know, because you have your family, you have this business, you have the students, you have a community. So there's four different um, groups that and, and people that you have to care about. You know, what, what do you think about value? What do you define that as? Yeah, I think that value, uh, there, there typically is a emo- positive emotional mm-hmm. impact. Okay. You know, so so if I even if I'm I'm purchasing a product, oh, it's valuable. It it gave me a boost somehow. Mm-hmm. Now that can be like an endorphin rush, or <laughs> it can be really genuine. Yeah. Uh, but I think as as humans, uh, we are emotively driven. Mm-hmm. You know, we do we do want happiness. We do want love and attention. Uh, and I think often value then. Uh, should make us, should, should move us, should inspire us, should in, invoke things in us. Um, I'm a big believer, I don't have any problem with money, I'm not like a, you know, money to me is a, is a marker of value, it's just yeah. a way to hold on to the value. Right. You know, and you look at a lot of uh, good marketing gurus or salespeople, you know, they're, they're all about like providing value. Yeah. Right? And people want to give you the money because, oh, that's, that's a good exchange. Uh, so I see value as, and especially as a software developer, you know, we talk a lot about value, you know, MVPs and that. Yeah. But even even on a feature level, you know, you you think about a, a user, uh, and I think about it in emotive terms. I'm like, you know, what what is going to delight a user? What is going to be exciting about this product? Or just just the accomplishment of using a feature. Uh, so I see value coming to emotional terms that way too. What's the experiential value? to that user. I mean, that, that's, wow, that's really good. I really like the, the context of where you're coming from with that in terms of how people connect to what you produce, mm-hmm. right? And, and just the fact that you're connecting with others. So to me, that is really huge. But how do you build out happy contributing people? Because you have a group of people who come in here, um, want to learn, want to change the trajectory of their legacy in life um, through the work that you're doing? How are you building out those yeah. happy contributing people to go out there and work for other companies and talk about alchemy as a, a place that you should come to, mm-hmm. right, to, to become better at what you want? Yeah, I think one, you, know, you talked about you know what core philosophy you're building. Yeah. So I think another one I have is that uh, everybody on this planet has amazing abilities and, and potentials. And when people are struggling, it's really about what do we need to get out of their way. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think anyone here that I have to uh, make them what they're not. Right. 
you know, and the, and the people that come here uh, are wanting intellectually challenging work. You know, they're, they're innately driven to be these creative, dynamic people. So, uh, you know, I almost view us more as a refinery in some ways, right? Like that, that's a uh, cold refinery. Code was, it's, it's an interesting, and we talk about human capital, but, yeah. but we're really in the, the human, I mean, we're like a refinery for human capital. Yeah. To give that. Uh, and I see that, so that's, that's when we talk about our students, uh, people. Uh, we're just here to assist and to, to take away old beliefs, I can't, or things about that and say, you know what, there's this opportunity. And again, going back to an opportunity I found in my life. And I'm sharing that with you. Look, there's this mm -hmm. tech thing. You actually get paid to like write some words down and, and like inspire people and, and build economies and motivate social change. I mean, if you think about what we use software development, it's stranger than any Harry Potter movie will be too. Yeah, really think about it. it. It is very strange. In a cool way. Yeah. Whoa, that's, we did what? Whoa, whoa, yeah, look what we just did. <laughs> um, so we're, we're producing value, people out there, but I, I'm always thinking about that. Like it, I'm also a big win-win-win kind of person. Yeah. Uh, another, another philosophical thing for me, and this really was, uh, there's a book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin mm -hmm. that really kind of framed this for me that, you know, we can, we can come up with all kinds of solutions. I don't believe solutions, there's an infinite number of possible things you could do. And you've got to find the ones that are going to benefit the most people. So again, to me, it was by this point natural, oh, I'm helping people, I'm helping Portland companies. We have a big emphasis on helping women, people of color, yeah. tech. And uh, you look at some of the benefits of that, and it's not just social good, it's like high performing teams, it's addressable market. So I love, to me that's a high value situation. How many, how many wins are you racking up for how many people? Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you look at alchemy, to me it's a nexus of value creation. And there's just so many winners. You know, nobody's losing in the, the deals on that. So, so you would say, going back to Daniel Pink's, his view of driver, building autonomy, purpose, and mastery. All right. I mean, I would think that those are some of the key skills that comes out of your program, you know, well, being software developers, right? I mean, those are yeah. common things that, that we just naturally have, mm -hmm. you know, or we develop over time of going through a curriculum. So, mm -hmm. I mean, would you align some of the things that you do with, with um, those three principles? So they were autonomy? Autonomy, purpose, and mastery. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of the people in the world generally want work that has purpose. Yeah. You know, you want to plug them in. Uh, and I really connect with that because when I was in college, I struggled to get through college, let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, part of it was like, people are partying all the time. But, you know, paper, right, yeah. is maybe intellectually, but who's it for? The teacher doesn't really want to grade it. They have to, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to write it. No. And uh, so that was a big struggle for me to prioritize doing that work. And in fact, I left college with a real, like it, it tanked my self-confidence. I went out like, am I gonna be able to be successful? I couldn't, you know, I could barely struggle and I could kind of get some motivation for a semester or two and then, but then I started working, even like waiting tables, bartending. Yeah. And once I had real people that I was serving, no problem, mm -hmm. you know? And I think a lot of people like, going back to purpose, you know, we're built, like a lot of us are built to help other people. Yeah. 
And where we won't succeed or have motivation, you, you give us that kind of opportunity to have a purpose. Uh, wow, what I'm doing matters. It's meaningful. Uh, and I have the ability to, to produce value. Everybody want, we innately want that. I mean, that's another way to say value. It's like we contribute to our community. Yes. And uh, so definitely align with that. Uh, autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, people uh, want to feel like they have control, right? Some of that. And particularly, I was just watching, I guess I wish I remember the author's name, a video that talked about environments where we have too much work and no control mm -hmm. lead to anxiety, stress, higher incidences of depression. So, so people want to sense that I have some autonomy, I will have control over that. And uh, it's interesting here because to teach that often, uh, it often goes into teaching accountability, right? That is a, a great context, yeah, for sure. You know, everybody wants autonomy, but do you want accountability? Yeah. Because you're going to have to be accountable to yourself. Uh, and so our program, for example, we just started this new class, and one of the hardest things for students is, is you know, there's we have a build system. We have to, you have to pass your test. You have to show up, and you have to turn things on time, not because it's like a school assignment, but we don't want to break the bill. Like, you know, software, we have deadlines in software development. Yeah. And so you have to you have to accept autonomy within that framework of accountability. Yeah. Uh, and the last was craft. Mastery. Mastery. Yes. yes. What is the one field that you can become really, really good or really bad? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wonder how much that is related to, to craft in the sense of you know, it takes a while to be a master. Yes. Um, but I, I've noticed that people like craft. Yeah. And, and having the thing that you can master. Yeah. Right? And I think even if you're not at the master stage yet, uh, and I don't know if that's kind of an underrated thing about software development, but people really like the creative craft of it. And we have like uh, people who are knitters, for example, mm -hmm. have, make really good coders. Yeah. I've, Musicians make really good coders. Yeah. History majors make. I don't know why, but what they just seem to do. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Which is interesting. Well, what are the markers that you would say are for satisfied customers? Because obviously your students are customers. So, what what are some of the markers of satisfied customers? Yeah. Um. Certainly, I think reputation mm -hmm. and recommendation is a hallmark. You know, how, how willing is someone to subject a friend or colleague or theirs to the same experience of project, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the basis of, of an NPS, Net Promoter Scores. Yes. Some of the highest correlations, like putting yourself, if you say how good I do, I, you're okay. You're yeah. right. But if I, it's like, I've got to put it, my reputation on the line recommending you to a friend, yeah. then it's out there. Uh, and I think uh, as satisfied customers, how much of a community, you know, for us, I was really shocked uh, at our last Christmas party because we had three years of grads coming back mm -hmm. and it's been a real joy. It wasn't something that we intentionally said, let's make sure we create community. Uh, but the way that we operate here, the level of customer service uh, and dedication to people, uh, we had this payback that I hadn't expected of three years of people who came back, we had alumni offering, oh, we want to do a, a scholarship fund for people to take the intro course. 
Nice. You know, you, you know, so yeah. you expect that at universities, but at code school, yeah. You know, so to me, that was a sign of satisfaction. Um, I think uh, ultimately, there's a level of did you get what we agreed on? Yeah. Uh, that that's kind of a baseline, but I think that gets lost sometimes. You know, did you? And so we're trying to get people into full time tech jobs. Did we do that for you? And that's mm. a satisfaction. Uh, one of the things that's been interesting in this particular business is sometimes the satisfaction can take longer than you expect. Uh, there's a phenomena sometimes with some students who come through and they're, uh, they might have a viewpoint that they, they succeeded in spite of us. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird, yeah. but you know, that's, that sometimes it, it, there's a, a small handful of students that it will take a year or so before they're like, oh yeah, it's really great, but it can be, uh, it can be difficult. Uh, this is an emotionally intensive program, so that can be hard for people to go through and, and kind of align. And it, like I said, I think it, I think it feels a lot like parenting in some yeah. ways. You know, we've had times when we we guide our kids and we know that that they don't appreciate the the tougher guidance that we give, and it might be like not to their adult that they're like, you know what, you were right. Yeah, <laughs> it takes time. It takes time for people to appreciate the moment that they're in, right? Until they go through the journey and they look back and they go, "Oh yeah, that made a lot of sense at the time." Not so much. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of it is just that you know, going through that journey of learning something new and, and trying to progress and realize your future as well. Mm -hmm. Right, it's just something amazing. So, thriving business. What makes your business thrive? Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I feel I feel we're so young now. I, I often ask, "Are we thriving?" Yeah, you know, it's it's been tough. Like I said, I had to. Uh, I have a software development background. It means like my default is I'll manage a business like an agile project. Yeah, which uncertain ambiguity that actually kind of fits yeah. most of the time. So it kind of fits through there. Uh, one of the big lessons for me in thriving in the last couple of years I learned from a business is I used to have this picture of thriving as just in abundance, like, oh, there's money everywhere. <laughs> and uh, I was actually out in the garden and, and looking at a plant, and I was like, oh, that, uh, that plant is really is a hosta. That plant is really thriving. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what did I, what did I mean by that? You know, and I was like, oh, the leaves are healthy, the flowers are out, and, but it had been watered correctly. Mm -hmm. It had been in the right shade or sunlight that it needed. So uh, thriving also means that you're operating in a context and an environment that supports you. It means you're utilizing your resources well. It doesn't mean that you're like money everywhere necessarily. It means that you, you fit into the ecosystem and you're thriving and the things that you take in feed you and what you produce has value to your environment too, right? Yeah. And there. So that's excellent. So some form of nurturing is part of a thriving business, right? That enables your business to, to thrive. Yeah. 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 I think you have to look at, again, it's not just profit loss. That's, that's a marker. Yeah. But is the, is the organism healthy? Is mm -hmm. the, is the, are the teams functional? You know, if, you, if you're dysfunctional, you'll get brown withered leaves on it. Yeah. As well. Yeah. But it, uh, so you talk about agile. As you know, a, a natural uh, default for you know how you operate a business. But do you apply agility throughout your organization? Is that something that's part of your DNA? I think definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
particularly you know an area I don't know anything about marketing. Yeah, but it's the same kind of thing. I look at well, uh, you know, do we are we in a really exploring stage? Do we need to run experiments? Mm -hmm. Do we need to just try a few things here, uh, or are we we experience? Can we take bigger steps uh, in what we're doing? Uh, certainly, one of the big ones is limiting work in progress. Oh. Especially small business, there's a hundred things that we want to do. There's 200 that we need to do, yeah. right? But we know that like uh, having a, a 10 things in progress is not where you want to be. Yeah, you gotta you gotta serialize some of your work. Uh, you have to pick what's most important. Um, and in fact, I think I think trying to apply it to the business, uh, it's tough. And that if you come from software development, you kind of understand the context. But you have to start to see the patterns in your business, you know? right. like prioritization Yeah. on that. Uh, like if we have a kind of shift over to software development, so I don't know if I mentioned too, you know, we have a small consultancy here at Alchemy. So we're actually actively building products for clients okay. as well, which has been great for me because I get a place to try software development the way I think it should be done. Yeah. You know, it's tough when you're a software developer, well, you, you train people, yeah. like, your ability to apply agile can, is hampered often by the organization that you're in. Certainly, and the people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, priority for businesses, um, it's a it's a product backlog. You, you've got to choose like what's most important. Uh, and I'm going to get back to this question because it's important. One of the things I'm doing in our lab that uh, when we work with clients is I ask questions like, what's the simplest happy story you could tell about this product? as a way to what's MVP, what's really yeah. going to make. And it's kind of the same in the business. Uh, I had just this last year, I was like, I've got all these growth plans. We're going to grow like this. And I just started throwing that at everybody. Uh, and I just created chaos. It's sort of like, it's like saying, we got to build this feature and this feature yeah. and this feature. And then it's like, whoa, I'm, I made that mistake. And nobody's happy. Talk about autonomy, lack of autonomy. I've given people, including myself, too much to do. Uh, and it went back to what's the simplest story. And I told the team earlier this year, I said, look, we need to prioritize us being happy at work. Yeah. Back to that organism. If we're not operating in a way that, that we like our work, that's step number one. Yeah. You know, so that's, to me, I felt that was aligned with agility was, uh, and maybe we just had this aha that we don't really talk about that, that maybe we should be, is the team happy? Are we, are we, operating our team mechanics like people want to focus on the product but if that's your back to thriving if that's the organism it's almost like that's we're talking about sprint zero but it's yeah like, it's like backlog item zero uh and that kind of taps i guess into the whole retrospective tradition too yeah I, you know it's important to have have happy contributing people not just contributing people but they're happy Mm -hmm. uh, they're happy to be there. They're happy to show up at work and happy to work with each other. And, and that's hard to do. But, you know, as a leader, that's kind of part of your responsibility of trying to craft an environment mm -hmm. that works like that. And so I'm glad to hear that you recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. So if there was one thing that you would say that, you know, hey, you know, this was such an amazing experience. Here's the one thing that I would like to just attribute that to. To which thing? I'm sorry, I thought. It's just any one thing. Through the, you've been through a three-year experience. Mm -hmm. Any one thing that you would say that has been like a great experience or a great story 
that you would just like to just call out? Sure. Um, you know, I think I'd have to go with with uh, one of those student moments. Yeah. Of uh, one of our students, Charlie Welsh, uh, and some of this I didn't know uh, until later, but uh, she, uh, single mom, mm-hmm. uh, had literally gotten to a point where she was couch surfing. Didn't have had a car. Didn't have a home, but had friends. I was sleep on couches, mm-hmm. uh, and went through the program. Extremely dedicated, and then went out and uh, was able to to very quickly secure a job. Uh, and in fact, got recognized. Did well enough at that job that she won uh, a Women Who Code uh, Rising Stars Award. Nice, you know. And then came back, and then I heard the story about, you know, here was my life, and we just we just bought a house. Wow, you know, and that, and some of the stories about going from that despondency of not even having a place to live, but you know, needing to take care of your kid, to I'm living a good life. Yeah, I'm providing for my family. You know, if I can, I think 10, 20 years from now, like that's that's what I'll remember. Yeah, I mean. That is a shifting legacy moment, is the way I would phrase it, right? Yeah. Because you shifted, the experience of her being here shifted her legacy to a point where, wow, you know, now she could really sustain herself and her family. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you asked one, but I, I'm actually going to ask Add another. Add another. Give me some yeah. more. <laughs> I'm going to give you some. So, uh, you know, it's, it's great to inspect, but, but yeah. I, I want to share some, like, internal developer you know one of the the real joys for me of this uh has been to have a position on the craft or outlook on the craft where i am thinking hard about how to break this down for new people uh and just the level of depth as a developer as a technologist when you have this opportunity when you are engaged with it but not in product development mode yeah uh, and when you're teaching, you're constantly curating. You've got to make choices about uh, how do you expose people to this stuff. Because in tech in general, we do an awful job at uh, providing curated information. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to most docs, and it's like it's exhaustive. It's it, all the commands. Yeah. You know, which which makes it inaccessible. So you've got to, when you're teaching, you've got to really start to think about it, and then you start to have almost like an academic research experience where you're like, that's really interesting that that, that you know, that language construct is like that. Or yeah. uh, you you prepare demos where it's like you have one hand tied behind your back. It's like, okay, I can't use any syntax I haven't introduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's really been a joy to have a, three years of Immersive, I'm coding every day. We do live coding. I'm coding all the time. It's not like I've stepped away from it, like a manager, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's been a neat experience uh, to have that researcher, reflective thinking time uh, about code, about coding, about process. You know, we, those of us have been doing Agile, mm-hmm. uh, we often know what works. Most yeah. Time, you know, and I, I think, I think getting organizations to do it is another thing, but I think in terms of, can we build it well? There's really enough, you know, things like TDD and testing and approaches and refactoring that you could do a pretty good job uh, building it well. At least I think. 
you know, yeah. there. Um, but you look at that and how we do it, and there's practices, but then it's like, how do you explain that to someone who's new? Like, why <laughs> Why does TDD work? Why does test-first thinking work? Yeah. And, and actually having time to think about what we do and deconstruct tacit knowledge. You know, when you're, when you're building things, when you're like next product, next release, you, you don't have that level of reflection on what is it that software developers do. And, and that's true because even at the academic level, if you go to you know, a regular uh, college, testing isn't one of the things that we really think about, right? And mm -hmm. the thing, you learn how to code. You learn, you know, different constructs to use. And, and data structures and algorithms and all of this wonderful stuff. I, it, to me, it's wonderful stuff. Mm -hmm. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about coding. You, you know, I would have people as, as a manager have people who would come and work for me who do not want to hear, who don't want to mob. I don't want to do that. And I understand why, because where they came from is that you are the lone ranger, because that's what we're taught. You spend four years of learning how to code that way. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. hard to break out of that. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I think probably you're, in the, as a consultant, yeah. are, is another arena where you're afforded opportunity to reflect on that because yeah. you're gonna help your clients. Uh, and I was just surprised that this, this environment actually for instructors, you know, I, I kind of think about it, the, the boot camps, coding schools, we're really like a rethinking of education based on an immediate need of the supply and demand came up mm -hmm. and it was, a, it was a pragmatic solution. It was driven out of immediacy and need. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's really disrupted education, I think, given its success. And it's gonna continue to, I think we're on a rise of vocational training as a, as a viable path and not only as an economic booster. I think it's a beautiful thing, uh, you know, as it's, opposed to spending four years it's very agile. And it's very agile too. <laughs> I like it. It's like MVP, right? What's yeah. a minimum viable developer yeah. that you need out there? And what's really, and it's just one of these things where you can strip, we don't need that, we don't need, that. We don't yeah. need these things in there. Um, but I, I think there's an opportunity to do the same thing for the academic research thing out of the university context and into this other context that we have here that is vocational. And it's that level of thinking that's really only going on at Agile conferences and, yeah. and those of us that love Agile. Yeah. Uh, but here it's forced me to deconstruct it. Like what, why, why was I successful in my career as a developer? You know, it's like you can give them the laundry list of practices and go back to the 12 principles, whatever that. Yeah. But it's, that's more about, right? Like mm -hmm. I can get it down to... And I, for me, anyway, that's been a super joy of this job is, is to reflect on two decades of work and have that kind of space, uh, even though I'm pretty busy, but that's my job. Yeah, it is your job, yeah. you know. So, Marty, thank you so much for the insights about alchemy. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really looking forward to sharing this back with the community and, and having people learn more about um, what you're doing. Right? Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's really a good thing. Well, thank you. So, great job, bud. Yeah. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr. Dave Cornelius again. Thank you for listening. We hope you were able to add to your awesomeness journey with this learning experience to obtain new knowledge. We are grateful to those who support us. We would like to thank our sponsor, Nalshare, for the continued support for this podcast. Visit www.nalshare.org to achieve your awesomeness 
through agile coaching and training, digital transformation strategy, agile organization development, lean business startup, and diversity, equity, and inclusion coaching. Nalsher.org also provides online workshops for PDUs and SEUs to help you maintain your existing professional development certification and achieve new ones. We support lean thinking and agile life skills education through the Five Saturdays Agile Education Program. Visit www.the5saturdays.org to donate your time, money, and knowledge. That's www.5saturdays.org. Check out Dr. Dave's latest book, Prayers to My Abba Father God, on Amazon.com. A focus on prayer to enable spiritual growth. You will also find his books, Elastic Minds, What Are You Thinking? And Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way, on Amazon.com. Look for the Nalsha with Dr. Day podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. The Nalsha with Dr. Day podcast is streamed on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at Dr. Cornelius Info or at Nalshare. Copyright 2019 Nalshare. Until next time, find your awesomeness. <laughs>